During this episode, we're excited to welcome Dr. Suba Aranjavia, CEO of CareLine, a HIPAA-compliant care orchestration platform that empowers clinical teams to collaborate effectively while reducing the risk of communication-related medical errors. Dr. Aranjavia is a seasoned clinician and informaticist with over 15 years of experience bridging the gap between frontline clinicians and technology teams designing care delivery. While together, Dr. Aaron Javia shares her passion for healthcare innovation and why she co-founded Caroline to address the inefficiencies and errors in medicine caused by communication breakdowns among clinicians. She also discusses how Caroline is leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning to help clinicians make more informed decisions and ultimately improve patient outcomes. Join us to learn how Dr. Aaron Javia and the Caroline team are bringing care orchestration to clinicians' fingertips. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Aaron Javia, a very warm welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, given your 15 plus years working tirelessly to bridge the gap between frontline clinicians and the teams building and designing the technology used to deliver care, I'm eager to dive into our conversation today. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Suba, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and the Caroline team are providing clinicians with an intuitive, patient-centric task management tool to track, manage, and coordinate clinical care as a team. But first, What's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? Piece of advice I would give is to never stop challenging the status quo because things can always be better. You know, Suba, I'm so glad you said it because this is probably one of the pieces of advice and one of the things in healthcare that get me the most fired up. How much we are shackled to orthodoxy in healthcare, right? Suba, this is how it's always been done. Why would we change now? This is how it's always been done. Have you always been of that mindset? We're going to dive in soon after the commercial break and talk about your storied career as a clinician, as an entrepreneur. But through your training, through your clinical training, being an entrepreneur, have you always had that mindset or where did that come to be in the first place for you? I think that definitely started with my parents. They taught us early on that you can always problem solve, you can always make things better. And if you find that things aren't being done, to the best of your ability or someone else's, then work to make it even better. And so that definitely has trickled into how I practice. I thought everyone did that. I've kind of learned that that's actually not the case. But yeah, it started early and I'm really thankful for those lessons I learned from my parents. That's an important lesson to bring to healthcare because believe it or not, not everyone in healthcare subscribes to those ideal SUBA. So I applaud you and I continue to root you on because this industry needs it now more than ever. We have to challenge the status quo. We have to think differently. 
We cannot keep doing what we've been doing year after year after year. It is no longer sustainable. And you and the team at Caroline are doing some very innovative work. You are challenging that status quo. And I can't wait to discuss all of that and more after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit catalysthealthtech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Dr. Suba Aranjavia, CEO of Caroline. Suba, thank you so much for being with us today. You set us up on the front end perfectly. We cannot continue with the orthodoxy that this is how it's always been done in healthcare. It no longer works. We have to reimagine, reinvent, challenge the status quo, and think anew. The time is now, and people like you are the ones that are helping us to get there and to get over those hurdles and really bring a fresh new perspective to healthcare. Now, of course, Suba, You've had a storied career, not just as a technologist, not just as an entrepreneur, but obviously as a highly trained clinician as well. Before we dive into all the great things that you and the Caroline team have built, where the company is heading, where you see the industry heading as well, we have to hear the founder's journey. How did this come to be? Did you anticipate being an entrepreneur through your entire journey? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's rewind the clock, Suba. How did this all come to be in the first place? How was Caroline formed? Yeah, that is a great question, Mike, and thanks for giving me the space to share it. Really, this started very early on in residency as an intern, taking care of patients and realizing, number one, that things were extremely inefficient. But probably the biggest thing was realizing how many errors happen in medicine. And it really struck me because obviously we're all, at least most of us, are in medicine to help people take great care of patients. And I had to face the reality that we're human. We make mistakes. Medicine is certainly not an exact science, but there are far too many preventable errors that happen in medicine. And these errors are preventable. They're related to technology. They're related to processes. They're related to systems. And they just shouldn't happen. When you look at the evidence around what leads to preventable errors, the vast majority of them are from communication failures. So that just really hit me hard as an intern thinking that we should be able to fix these things. And I had some really great teachers and mentors at Penn as a resident who taught me skills early on of how can we communicate more effectively as a team? How do we stay on the same page with each other to make sure things don't fall through the cracks? So actually the origins of this started in handoffs. I don't know if you're familiar with handoffs, but on the inpatient side, shift to shift as we hand off the care of patients to each other, it's a real error-prone time in medicine. And at the time, we were doing everything on Word documents that I had to wait in line. I'm dating myself, but I had to wait in line at a computer to print this document. And that's just because cloud drives weren't a thing. And at the end of my intern year, I lobbied to my 
program director and said, there is a better way to do this. Please give me the resources to help build this. So she is absolutely wonderful, Lisa Bellini, and she did help me get resources in the Penn IT department to build basically a web-based version of what we were doing. And I did that in my second year of residency in all my free time. And it goes back to the word passionate, right? Which is if you love something and you really care about it, you will make time for it. So during my second year of residency, we built a web-based version of what we were doing, which had some form improvement. Some of it was kind of recreating the same thing, but it was so much better in its function that it took off on like five different residency programs. That was really the grandparent of what Caroline is now. And it was my first insight into how through technology and systems improvement, I could have an exponentially greater impact on patient care and on lives than I did through direct patient care. I still very much value and love my interaction with patients, but to really have impact in the magnitude that I then became addicted to, it really had to be, I think, through these other avenues. So coming out of residency, I lobbied for a job at Penn as a physician advisor to our IT department because CMIOs weren't a thing really at the time. And I joined faculty as a part-time hospitalist, part-time advisor to IT in and of itself. That's really funny because I said I would never do medicine and I would do surgery, but I realized that it was actually a great blend for the problem solving that I wanted to do. And the next 15 years, I mean, I could keep talking for another hour about what led to the next 15 years, but that's really where it started. And of course, thank you for that and setting the stage too, but I've got to ask you, one thing I said on the front end is, did you ever envision yourself being a tech entrepreneur founder, right? We'll get to that in just a moment. But when you started seeing this problem, you were using these Word doc printouts for the handoff and you're right, that's where a lot of error prone opportunities or issues happen within the patient care environment. Did you scan the marketplace and was there no solutions already out there? So you were like, therefore, we need to build it. What was it like at that time scanning the marketplace? What did you see out there? Yeah, I mean, this was 15 years ago, Mike. So at that time, no, there really wasn't anything. It was hard to even get anything integrated into any EHR. We ended up building a second version into our EHR at the time and then a third version, which is what Caroline became. So this really has been 15 years in the making at Penn. And I did do a market scan before we built Caroline because a big part of what we built with it is we wanted it to be paperless. So just big picture to kind of share how it is now is that the large EHRs in healthcare have built a module in their EHR as a handoff or rounding list or task management. And I'm using words that are inpatient specific because that's where Caroline started and that's what the question was, but it's really not unique to inpatient. It's in any care setting. But the reality is they don't have robust tools. The EHR tools are a module with a bunch of free text boxes that you print and you still carry around on paper. So that's usually, I think, the biggest disconnect between healthcare executives and what they understand about how frontline clinicians work is that a big part of what we're doing is still analog and on paper and completely invisible to administrators because it's in our pockets where no one else can see it. And this is a good example of what else would it be? This is how we've always done it. But the reality is that anything you write on paper is inherently siloed. No one else can share in that information with you. And if you want to get it into the EHR or you want to get it into something else, inherently, you're going to have to write it again or say it again. So it's incredibly inefficient. And the way we practice has drastically changed in the last couple of decades where things are increasingly team-based. You don't have one person who knows everything about a patient. 
And it's iterative care that we're delivering. It's not just fee-for-service, one at a time you see a patient. We're providing care across a continuum of time and a continuum of locations, but our systems aren't set up for that. If I could say one more big picture thing about this, it's that for people who aren't as familiar with the clinical process of this, Caroline is like a project management tool. Medicine does not have that. If you think of Asana or Monday or Jira, Trello, Basecamp, exactly, Trello, these systems help make sure that teams work well together and every other industry has realized that they need these. Medicine does not. And that's what Caroline brings to the table. And I didn't even know what project management was when I built it or when we built it. So I've kind of learned this after the fact. But there is this weird belief that because we spent a billion dollars on our EHR, everything should be in our EHR. But I don't believe that one system can do everything. And you don't have one system across care settings. You don't have one system across different teams of clinicians. And EHRs, they do a really good job of providing specialty-specific and discipline-specific workflows. What Caroline does is give you a much more overview of, as a team, how do we work together? I love it. And in a moment, I'm going to ask, who is Caroline? That kind of that elevator pitch. If you and I were stuck in the elevator together for 30 seconds to a minute, what would you say to me? Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But I have to ask the question, Sue, but we kind of teed it up earlier. One, you didn't sound like you had being a startup tech founder on the roadmap. Here you are, a tech founder. It's now absolutely core of who you are and what you're building. What has it been like being a startup founder? Oh, it is a breeze. It's so easy. (laughs) So first of all, I had absolutely no idea I would ever do this. And I think a huge learning point for me has been opportunities are always presenting themselves to you and to be open to them because you never know what turn you might take. Three months before we launched the business, I said, I don't want to start a business. I'm an associate CMIO of Penn Medicine. I worked hard to get this title and this is great. And would I change my decision? No, I'm so happy that I made this decision. So it definitely was unexpected, but it's been really hard. I really, truly, firmly believe that, at least for me, it's not worth doing if it's not hard. And if it was easy, everyone would have done it already. So problems that are really hard, or I should say the problems that are worth solving are hard. So I'm excited to be working on it. What I also go back to, and I think about some of the companies that I founded myself, it's amazing how much you learn about your own self through that journey as well. 100%. There is so much about self-reflection, what drives you. Running a company, and especially a startup, is a roller coaster. So there's some days we're like, I'm going to change the world. And other days we're like, oh my God, what am I doing? And you have to have a lot of grit to be able to get through those times and belief. I can't emphasize enough the blessing it is or how lucky I am to be working on something that I believe so strongly is improving lives because if it wasn't for that, it'd be hard for me to motivate. And I don't think I said this before, but our applications used across all of Penn Medicine, across multiple other hospitals by thousands of people. And I randomly get emails and messages from people who say, this has changed my life, or I can't imagine working without this. Now it's been at Penn so long, there's no one there who hasn't used it. But when people come from another place and use it for the first time, and then they message me and they're like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. I hang on to those moments. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for validating that what we're doing is helping and great. And we're lucky, right? A lot of startups don't have that, right? They're working on an idea and hoping that it has legs. 
Whereas we have that validation already, which really helps. Yeah, no, it's those comments and it's that feedback from the end user that really helps sustain and drive us as entrepreneurs because you're 100% spot on. One, it can be a very lonely space being a founder. And two, it is incredibly difficult. The highs are very high and the lows are very low. But you mentioned you get those comments, you get that feedback from users, and it just is absolutely continues to demonstrate why you've done this and all the sacrifice you've made to continue to build Caroline. So let's go there. Let's head into that proverbial elevator. Let's go up a few flights together. Let's get that elevator pitch going. Who is Caroline? Well, the mission of Caroline is to make it easier for clinicians to do the right thing for patients so that we have better outcomes and we save time. You actually said it very well. Caroline is a interdisciplinary, across care setting, patient-centered team collaboration platform. It does three main things. We integrate to EHRs and data sources so you get data visualization of vitals, labs, meds, helping you find the data you need to make clinical decisions in a timely manner, task management. And then the third piece is actually document generation. You may have heard that there is a documentation burden problem in medicine. And a big part of what we've done is build an easier way for people to only have to write things once instead of five times and leverage the work they're already doing to generate the right documentation they need for their electronic health records. And in regards to, you know, you mentioned obviously Penn Medicine, massive enterprise, right? And you mentioned there's also a lot of users around the country. What other persona types or other use cases, because you mentioned it's not just for one specific area of medicine that this can be used across a lot of different continuums. What other types of environments has Caroline been deployed in? Yeah, so as a hospitalist, this has been particularly exciting for me because I just never imagined it would be used outside of a hospital setting. During COVID, we had people at another health system start using it in their skilled nursing facilities and then for their home care patients and then for their value-based care organization. All of these areas where I was just like, oh my gosh, they actually all have the same challenges, the same problems as the inpatient setting. But honestly, it's really harder in some ways. Sure, inpatient care is very acute and there's a lot of things happening all the time. But once you're outside the hospital, your team is now spread apart. No one's in the same place. Things are spread across time. You don't have one system for everything. So it's really just like a project management solution like Trello can work for any individual, any team, any type of company, right? Foundationally, it has the elements that you need. Caroline is the same way for clinical settings. We haven't met one that it does not help with because fundamentally it's how do we work better together to take care of patients? I absolutely love those other use cases you just outlined. Absolutely love it. That's incredible. And so Suba, let's also now, you know, we'll take the crystal ball off the shelf a bit here for some time to discuss where are things heading, right? As we mentioned that we're plagued quite a bit with orthodoxy, but there is silver lining out there. Again, COVID was brutal. It was terrible. It was a horrific event. But I believe within those ashes, we're going to see quite a few opportunities for rebirth and to really think anew in healthcare. And so as you see, and we look kind of into the future, the next three to five years, things are changing and changing rapidly. Suba, where do you see things heading for the industry? And especially where do you see things continuing for Caroline? What should we be mindful of as leaders out there, as you see from your perspective of where things are heading and what we need to be paying attention to? Yeah, well, gosh, there's a lot of themes here. I mean, I think anyone who went to health came out of it thinking that value-based care is a huge part of what's coming in the industry. But if I were to focus more on the tech side of things, since that's where I live, 
I think that we've had the last 20 years building and implementing EHRs for meaningful use and the High Tech Act. And now what we're seeing is they've laid an excellent foundation, but we need to now build on top of that investment and have applications and functionality that actually is designed for the delivery of care. We've handled the business of care, but not the delivery of care. So I think we're going to start seeing more and more. And that's part of why we have so much burnout, so much frustration in workflow. People are fed up. So you're going to see more things, I think, like Caroline, that are really designed towards how do we make it easier for you to do your job as a clinician. And instead of you having to bend over backwards to do this workflow that doesn't make sense, we're going to help make things more efficient for you. The other thing that everyone talks all about is AI and ML and how is that going to change things. I certainly think that's going to be a lot of what we hear in the next couple of years. But the spin on that for me is bad data in means bad data out. So those things are only as good as the information they're given. It's no surprise to me, honestly, that pretty much every early warning system and sepsis alert and this alert has not been very effective. Part of it's because a huge chunk of clinician thinking and workflow is missing because it's on paper and it's an email and it's in text messages. Just like you can't plan a wedding or even a brunch on text message efficiently, providing patient care through text messages is the wrong thing to do. It, text messaging obviously is important, but it can't be the way that we collaborate. So I think that we are going to find that these black holes of workflow and information, like the ones that Caroline is addressing with paper and email and text and fax and whiteboards, which still exist in medicine, those are going to have to be digitized to really get effective AI algorithms. And we published a paper last month or a couple months ago about text in the chart. So if you'll permit me 30 seconds, I'll share this. So we looked at six years worth of notes, a very large health system with multiple hospitals and outpatient settings. In six years, we had over 100 million notes, 33 billion words, and 192 billion characters. So what does that mean? All of English Wikipedia in all time, when we wrote the paper in February, was 24 billion characters. So in one year, one health system generated more text than in all of English Wikipedia in all time. And that's just one health system. When you look at the average chart, it was 4,300 words, which is about one sixth of Hamlet. So that means that if I'm taking care of 12 patients, I'm responsible for the equivalent of not one, but two copies of Hamlet worth of text. And 50% of the text is duplicated from a prior note. So number one, there is just too much information in electronic health record systems for that to be how we manage our work because things get missed. Number two, the way we document and the way we do things is broken. It needs to be revised and improved for the way we actually practice care. Number three is any AI or ML algorithm that is based off of EHR text is inherently going to be either under or over-representing information incorrectly because half the data is duplicated. Not to mention a whole chunk of data never even makes it into the EHR because it's sitting in white coat pockets behind a door. Absolutely. Suba, this is what I say time and again in this industry, and you've absolutely painted a brilliant picture, a very sad state of affairs picture, but Scary, yeah, yeah, but nonetheless, you painted a picture that's very sobering. And what I always say to that is we as an industry, we're drowning in information, yet we haven't unleashed the data. Yeah. We're drowning that, in information. Version? No, yeah. I just, but we haven't unleashed the data. We haven't. Yeah. 
I heard a quote at a conference the other day where someone said, we are drowning in an ocean of information with not a drop of water to drink. Wow. And that's yeah. how it feels as a doctor. It's like, there's just so much information and I can't even find what I need to make a good decision. That pile of information is only continuing to grow. That's also part of the problem. Yes. If you look at this paper, I'm happy to provide it for your show notes because it is open access. The amount of data in a chart grows exponentially through time. No joke, right? But if you think about, we now have people whose entire lives start off in a digital EHR. A lot of systems just implemented their EHRs in the last five, 10 years. So we're only looking at a subset of data. It's going to be completely unsustainable for the people who've started off their lives in an EHR. So it simply cannot be the case that every single thing needs to be in the chart. And the number of times I hear the phrase, it's in the chart. Didn't you see it? I used to feel really bad. I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I missed that note. And now I'm like, no, actually, I didn't see the note in the chart because that's like saying, didn't you read that one page of that one book on the one shelf of the library? No, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to it. So what you're telling me is, is that uh, we cannot continue along the path of orthodoxy. And this is how it's always been done. Just like we talked about at the front end of this interview. So Suba, exactly. we're going to put the crystal ball back on this shelf. Uh, the crystal ball is quite hot right now. So that's a good thing. We heated <laughs> it up pretty good. So that was awesome. We'll shelf the crystal ball for the moment. We're going to bring it back to today, Suba. We have an incredible community rally around this podcast. Love to help our guests out. So with that, what's one problem need or question that you have? that our community can be helping you and the team with. This is a good one. And hopefully I'd like you to cut out as I like think about this for a moment in post-production. But the question that I'd like help with is how do you translate the value or how do you define the value of workflow in healthcare to one that the decision makers and buyers and executives in healthcare hear and care about? There is not one person we meet that sees Caroline that doesn't say, wow, this would be a complete game changer. This would help me take better care of patients. This would completely change this error that keeps happening. But a lot of those problems are unseen to the executives and the people who've spent a billion dollars on their EHR. And so it's hard for them to resonate with that. And I think not out of malintent, they just don't have that insight. Other industries see that employee workflow and efficiency matter for the business, but I don't think we've seen that in healthcare or we haven't seen that same realization in healthcare. So that's my question is how do we draw a straight line, not a dotted line and not a diagonal line, but a straight line from clinician efficiency, workflow, well-being to the bottom line of the health system and the provider organizations to be something that they care about. Absolutely love it. And it is needed. We have to have those conversations. Uh, we just can't assume because we know what it does to everybody involved. These are the things that we need to have these collaborative dialogue across these different areas of the enterprise, right? So we can't have the administrator sitting in a silo from the clinicians. Everybody has to know in real time what those impacts are and what is happening. And, and you nailed it, Suba. So I know that there are incredible and passionate leaders tuning in that uh, love to think through and solve these meaty problems. So in order to get a hold of you, have this dialogue, have this conversation and think collaboratively with you and the team, how do they get a hold of you? Social media handles, websites or otherwise, how do they track you down? Yeah. So the Caroline website is www.carealign, like the words carealign.ai. And on Twitter, I personally am at Suba Aaron, S-U-B-H-A-A-I-R-A-N. Our company is at Caroline AI on Twitter. And that's probably the best way. 
Easy enough in all those contact points for our community. Just scroll on down into your favorite podcast player. Go into the episode notes. You'll see all those contact points to click on through to get a hold of Suba and the Caroline team. Of course, you can head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for Suba's episode where you can leave comments, feedback, suggestions, or otherwise, and get a hold of all of those contact points for Suba and the team. Again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Suba, what a phenomenal conversation. I know we have much, much more to discuss, but we're going to wind this episode down. Before we get out of here, we have one more question for you. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because things can always be better and I don't accept no. I love it. And you're spot on. Things can always be better in this industry. And we got to continue to work together to get there. Suba, thank you so much for being with us today to share the story of Caroline, how it came to be, where you guys are at today and where you're heading. But for now, again, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Very excited to have been here with you, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode. 